Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If there's something I need, I don't already have. I know I'll get it from a good friend. If there's something I need, I don't already have. I know I'll get it from a good friend. Hi, everybody. It's Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're listening to the Good Friend Podcast, presented to you by iHeartRadio. It's a podcast about friendship. We talk about everything. We cry, we laugh, we think about what it really means to be a good friend. And I have conversations with some of my best friends, some people I've never met, and sort of everything in between. So I hope by the end of it that you have a really good sense of what friendship means to me and the people that I consider friends. And I hope you can take those same ideas into your own friendship groups. And I hope you enjoy it. They're beautiful, loving, original people. And they are from an original, loving, creative person, my friend Naomi Foner, who is our guest today on the Good Friend podcast. Um, Naomi was just describing, although we will not share with our listeners, the description of your recent birthday party with your family. Um, But I think it would be safe to say that we could share that one of your granddaughters sort of started a poetry slam with you where she offered a poem and now it's your turn to respond. Do you write a lot of poetry? 
I do. I mean, I, I don't write it constantly, but it sort of insists on coming out every once in a while. And I find that there are things I can't say except in a poem. And so I often will write a poem for a gift or a birthday or an event because it somehow allows me the freedom to speak something that I can't find a form otherwise for. For the uninitiated listener, Naomi is a writer. Um, duh. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a duh moment. Um, who primarily writes screenplays. Um, Naomi and I have been friends since I met Christopher Guest, my husband. Um, I was introduced to Naomi and her husband at the time, Stephen Gyllenhaal, um, and their little children. Jake was five? Maybe even younger. Yeah, it was, uh, I think he was about five at your wedding. Right. Yeah. So, well, and as you know, we met and married within a few months, so it was pretty quick. But so Jake was, you know, little, five, and Maggie was eight. Right. Or, right. So they were little, and um, you were, you know, when you, uh, you're in a relationship, you know how it is when you meet people connected to your relationship. Um, I think anybody listening, man, woman, child, anything in between can understand you want to make a good impression. You want to feel connected to the people that you're feeling super connected to, which is your significant person. And you were that so completely for me that it took my breath away. Hmm. Um, I wanted so much to be happy with Chris. And in order to be happy with Chris, I needed to be happy with the people around him, his family, who I became close to. But you also represented the first sort of adult family that I really had ever spent any time with. Um, do you remember that first time when we first met? Yes, I remember that you said, and after a couple of meetings, and I, I completely understood it, that it was as if we saw each other from the very beginning. And I certainly felt seen. And I certainly felt like, you know, every once in a while you meet someone that you think you always knew. Mm -hmm. And that you had, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't, there was nothing awkward about it. There was nothing. It was almost like we, we had we were picking up some thread from another life. And I remember you giving me a birthday gift. It was, I think, close to it was my 39th or 40th birthday. And you had picked out a few things for me. And each one of these little things that came, you had wrapped as you often do in a beautiful box. And each one of the things were like, oh, my God, she knows who I am. It was that, it was that feeling. And... It was it was remarkable. But I think that's what happens with good friends. I think what I've been interested in, particularly in just doing this podcast the way it has begun, is what is it? What happens when you meet someone like that? And I feel that way. And I felt that way with you completely. 
Um, I know you felt that way with me. We had never met. Chances are we might not have ever met, just given where our lives were. You were married with young children. You were focused on school and your own work. You were working a lot and raising your children. And so um, I do remember there have been many people in my life who feel like I wanted everything you had. It, 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 you made sense to me. The way you lived a family life made sense to me. And I know I'm not alone in feeling like I wanted, I, I, I watched you to see how you did it. Because I don't think you know what you want until you're there. I just don't think you know it. And you wanted, I, I wanted you. I wanted, I just wanted that life. It felt very free and creative and aesthetically pleasing to me. Someone who was trying to figure it out. And here I was in this new marriage. Mm -hmm. And here you were, this lovely sort of guide where you you just sort of welcome me in because you know a family is like a river mm -hmm. family life is like a running river mm -hmm. and you know you cannot you you have to enter it you just have to get into it you can't you can look at it from afar and go wow look at that river but ultimately if you want the experience you have to get in it and you just allowed me in it right away and I, you know, obviously have never forgotten that feeling. It's a feeling that you have. Yeah. Well, it's, it is like a river. <laughs> you can't control it. It's, it's, it's got a current. Mm -hmm. Things come in and out and they float by. And it's a, it's a kind of lovely chaos of family. Um, and I, Having grown up in a very complicated family where things always had to be controlled was probably leaning over backwards to do less of that, although it was sometimes overwhelming. But the, the strongest feeling I had with you was there was no uh, performance necessary, no, no rules to it. It was natural. It felt completely comfortable. And yeah, and I was I was old, I'm older than you, twelve years I think, but it I never felt the age difference except circumstantial, because you were one of those young people who was already wise, and you were very um, open to everything. You know, it was it it it's it's really interesting how you have maintain that through your whole life you you know you're you're always curious curiosity i think in young children in people in general is is one of the most telling things about who they who they are mm -hmm. they're not it means that they might be a little afraid but they're more afraid of not knowing what's new what's interesting and you were incredibly curious about everything and committed to everything you chose. You, you committed yourself to your marriage, to the, to all those people in Chris's family, to, to all of your friends. You were, you were always such a good friend and, and, and a, a really good friend because a really good friend, I was thinking about 
this conversation we're going to have today and what makes you such a good friend. Aside from being, you know, incredibly loving and you can't really love somebody else unless on some level you really love yourself, but you, you're incredibly honest and you're honest in a generous way. You tell the truth. And I always turn to you to hear it uh, because I know you'll tell me the truth. Sometimes you don't want to say too much, but you will never actively lie. And I can count on that. But isn't, isn't that a component? Don't you look for that in a good friend? Yes, but yeah. there are very, very few who are like that. Yeah. There are very real lack of that ability to, to say the truth in a, in a generous way, because, you know, you can tell the truth is, it comes in different forms when it's really, when it comes with love. And I think it's part of parenting also, which may be a, you know, an odd version of friendship or certainly of love. Um, when you have the courage to tell your children the truth, even if they won't like it, even if it will mean that there's going to be either a temporary or um, significant withdrawal from you as a result of having done that, it's really an act of love because they need to hear it from somebody who cares about them. And, you know, it, it, what, the, what is the truth? It's only your truth or my truth. It's as much as we've discovered up to a certain point. There's no absolute truth. But you can tell when somebody is telling it to you with love because they care about you, because they want you to survive or to get through something or to get better or to, and you have always done that for me from the very beginning. I, w I want to go to the very beginning, if I may. Please. Let's go back, Naomi. <laughs> Let's go time travel together, shall we? Um, you know, you have a very interesting beginning of your life. Um, and without it being a psychological session, this is obviously a podcast mm -hmm talking about sort of the origins of friendship, early friendships, how do you build them, how do you hold on to them, how do you let them go? You know, it's an exploration. It's There's no set form here. It's pretty open. But I know your past, and I don't think our significant listeners know your past, which I think informs a little bit about the kind of friendships you make, which is that you were very young and your parents were both doctors. They weren't yet full doctors. They were interns. In the they were interns. Right. And th but you were left with your grandparents for a significant part of your early life. Mm -hmm. And when you lived with your grandparents, did they provide access to other kids for you? Did Were they, quote, surrogate parents and therefore did what most parents do or were you more isolated from other kids? Well, I was with them until I was about two and a half, so um, full-time. And I, I was in, my parents were doctors in a hospital in New York where they, in those days, you had to live in the hospital if you were an intern and a resident. You, you were there full-time, basically, and that's where your abode was. So when I was born, I think I wasn't actually a planned child. And I think my mother was extremely worried about my arrival and what it was going to do to her at the time. Very hard-won 
career, there were very few women doctors at the at that time. So my grandmother, who was the great caretaker, who had three daughters, uh, moved to an apartment across the street from the hospital. My mother is really worried about uh, what having a baby is going to do to her career. So my grandmother took me to an apartment across the street from the hospital. And not long after that, my grandfather had a heart attack and they decided they would move for his health to Florida and they took me with him. So I moved for the first two years of my life to live with them in Florida. They were first generation immigrants, warm uh, and very, very sensual people. My, I still remember my grandmother, you know, holding me her to her gigantic bosom. <laughs> I have the same grandmother's bosom. I mean, Correct. not me, Jamie. First, well, I do too, but yes, yes, yeah. Grandma Helen, I refer to them as. Right. Yeah. One big giant breast with a line down the middle. Right. Yeah. And so I, I call I, it a uniboob. Yeah. I lived with them until I was two and a half, I think. And my parents, not only, they, they took a long time to come and get me again. Uh, and I don't think I went back to see them and, uh, or maybe I did very briefly and, and I went back to, um, to New York. I, you know, I don't think I did, but the, my grandparents, a life with my grandparents was um, very loving. My grandfather adored me. He would tell me stories. Um, they, but I don't have any memory of other children. Right. So it wasn't as if they were taking you to parks necessarily and you didn't have but I mean, by the way, you were two. So when you came when you came back to New York and you were living with your parents, did you have early friendships that you felt a real connection to, and and have you continued any of those? Yes, I had I had one friend who was the child of another set of doctors who lived nearby. Um, I had lots of friends in elementary school. And if you look at my work, it was very surprising to me to see that one of my earliest friends, whose name was Eleanor Stein, is the basis of both of the big movies in my life, Um, Running on Empty, because she later went on to join the Weather Underground. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she, she was my introduction into, you know, teenage, uh, the music of the time, which was sort of Bob Dylan and the folk scene and, you know, uh, Joan Baez and also politics. Her parents were pretty big lefties. And so she was very, very important to me. And then when I wrote and directed, the first thing I directed, which took a long time to happen, was Very Good Girls. That was about my relationship with her as well. So it's very interesting how that early, early friendship has kind of infused my work even without not being completely and totally aware of it. I still have friends from those days, from my early childhood, from certainly from high school, definitely from college. Um, But friendships became a family for me. And when I moved to Southern California, uh, I was without family because what family, my mother died when I was, when I was young and she was 48. And my, the only, I had my father around, but he was a kind of strange character, surgeon of all surgeons, but mostly uh, holidays and 
birthdays and things like that was celebrated with a created family that came mm-hmm. from the people we knew who had children the same age as, as we had and um, people we met and work who we connected to. And I always felt like it was in the table and food became a real center of connection. And I think I got that from my grandparents because in many ways, food was love. You know, I have memories of my grandmother cutting a big piece of pumpernickel bread the wrong way towards her breast, but thought she would lose her left nipple, that she would lather with butter and honey and hand me this plate-sized piece of brown bread with butter and honey. So yes, for me, friendship, love is very connected to that. So there would be always, you know, dinners with big bowls of salad and plates of food and always an extra chair available and conversation and music. And and interestingly enough, that's kind of the way my birthday went last night. My daughter had me to her house with a table full of food and we danced mm-hmm. and, and we talked about all kinds of things. And it, it felt like I was swimming in love because it's the history I have of it. Well, and my experience and my experience as your friend, as a new friendship, um, as we built that friendship from my marriage to Chris, was exactly what you just described. The house you lived in, both houses that you lived in in Hancock Park, were open seasons. They The door was unlocked. You people every weekend, I think we went to your house every single weekend that first year of our marriage. It was either your house or Rob's or Billy's. I mean, it was some version of that where, as you described, I've copied your kitchen now six times over, open shelving, no cabinetry, every big bowls everywhere, because that's exactly what it felt like to be your friend, to be a good friend of you in that time. For me, a young, unformed 26-year-old actress who married someone after knowing them four months and having never spent more than two days together physically in the same space before we married. We got together and we would have these weekends, but that was it. And then we got married. And so kind of being pulled into your home life gave us a direction to go. And I do think it's an incredibly helpful and hopeful thing for a young married woman to be brought in with a seat at your table, by the way, for the uninitiated listener, uh, maybe, just maybe, somewhere on some website somewhere, I will post my Caesar salad recipe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which has followed me a bit around the world. (laughs) But I would make a big salad in your kitchen. And salsa with your hands. With my hands, you hug the salad is the direction. You do not use tongs. You hug the salad. You touch it. Um, But it it was that feeling. It's so interesting because from your grandparents, see, I was going for something which was not going for. I was investigating with you right now to see Mm -hmm. if the isolation of without a lot of kids around, um, if that 
impacted anything. And the truth is, it sounds like it didn't because you were, as you said, surrounded by love and it was very a loving, sensual experience, food. And so when you became an adult, as you said, and moved out here to California, um, that's what you created. I've been there, um, I think, for anybody listening um, who was drawn to that friend. Yes, you are older than me. So you had a lot more experience. You were a mother. I had no friends who had kids. And I watched you and followed the way you did it. You know, I was a bit of a sponge. I, I don't want to say that I just sort of studied you like a scientist, but I, I absorbed you. I absorbed you. And you should know I was making a lot of it up since I didn't have anything to go on either. When Maggie was born, I didn't have a single friend who had a child. And it was deep in the middle of the whole feminist movement where being pregnant and having a child was almost a betrayal of the politics. Mm -hmm. I was very significantly part of. And I I didn't know what to do. I I remember being hugely pregnant. I gained about 60 pounds when I was pregnant and having people look at my stomach and I would be like, what are you looking at? (laughs) I was, and I had nobody to ask any questions. I had one aunt who had never had a child. I didn't have any friends who'd ever had a child. So I was making it up kind of full bore out of nothing with whatever memories I, I did have from my grandparents, which probably saved my life. I mean, I remember my grandmother, when I grew grew older, they never told me that I had been living with my grandparents. I think that it was like the end of World War II theory where they thought children were didn't remember anything or know what happened to them when they were children. They weren't like fully formed in some way. And so they never discussed it or else they were pretty guilty about it. And my grandmother would come to visit and they would only tell me, well, you're very special to her. They didn't say because she lived with her for three years. Right, <laughs> right. Because she nurtured that. And we now know, of course, how crucial those first, that first year of bonding with a mother and, you know, all the rest of it. We've both done enough work in that arena to understand the import of that and, and what happens when you have a, a, when you don't get to have that. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break, so stick around. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is... 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. It's interesting to me because you say you were making it up. I think we all make up almost everything. I mean, I'd, I, I can tell you being a mother, obviously, now of two adult people, um, I know there have been things that uh, I know, for instance, my daughter has said, I wish you had taught me this. And it's funny because I didn't feel like I had that from my family. And so I just made an assumption that everybody would just pick it up sort of through osmosis, that there was that if you saw me do something, I'm a worker. I I say I'm a worker, meaning I'm somebody who likes to pitch it. I'm I am not someone who's idle. I am active and doing things all day long. And I'm a very active person. So I just assumed that people would see that activity and then basically pick up, oh, that's how you do that and then do it. It, And I, I think many people, particularly many people listening to podcasts, many women are now at home, you know, either exercising or doing some sort of chore at home while they're listening to a podcast or driving somewhere on a long distance and listening to a podcast. And I think we can all relate to what you just said, which is we we kind of all make it up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, the being a good friend is that idea that you you sort of do something and another person does it. Uh, I've certainly. How many times have I told you I've copied your kitchen? <laughs> yeah. Well, I and I think there are things we don't even know we're copying. You know, my grandmother would arrive on those visits when I was a little girl, and she would. My grandfather loved being in Southern Florida because he'd grown up in Russia, uh, had a garden and he would plant fruits and vegetables. And he, she would arrive with her voluminous self and take off her dress and out of her dress would fall avocados and, <laughs> and all these things, which she wasn't technically allowed to bring across straight lines. And I don't know if she was teaching me something, but the sensuousness of that was so extraordinary that I, and I, and like nothing I'd ever seen in my parents' house where everything had to be in order. And so I, I'm, I, we absorb something, some things, and they, they have huge impacts on us without our even knowing it. And that was comforting and wonderfully felt so good. You know, <laughs> all that stuff was fantastic. Well, I, I think that's very much um, sort of on brand for you is that sort of sensual, tactile, um, olfactory, like your senses, what you do, how you do things uh, is a very sensory experience. Um, you're a writer and you're an extraordinary writer and the way you put words together is a sensory experience. It's the beauty, it's the sensuality of language, um, the way it can be combined into a thought or an idea. I was thinking when you talked about feminism. Now, you know, I was a kid of the 70s from a, a movie star mom who was not political or had been more of a Democrat and then married a Republican and sort of didn't really have, um, honestly, I think probably a little homophobic. I know that when I remember when Ellen kissed uh, Laura Dern or uh, on TV. And I remember my mother had, I think, some issue with it. I think it was hard for her to see that. Um, I remember her saying it was fine what somebody did in private, but that she didn't want to be confronted with it. And the reason I bring it up is another thing that happened, which was, you know, a good friend podcast is about how do friends help each other? Um, How do you relate to friends? And I was, when we married, you know, I just, um, like, wanted to be Mrs. Gast, mm-hmm. like, immediately. Like, I gave up Jamie Lee Curtis so quickly and was Jamie Gast. And um, I remember when we started at a school together, we followed you. Again, I copied you. I saw how and where you sent your children to school, and I thought that sounded like a good, creative, interesting Petri dish for young minds to grow in. And that sounded great. And we were able to send Annie there to a school. Um, And I remember there was a period of time where, you know, there's fun fundraising. There's always fundraising, by the way. Anybody young listening to this, it's there's always fundraising. Any for anything worth anything, you're going to have to raise money for it. And you know, I'm on the board at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I work very hard on there, but everything is fundraising. But we were at this school, and I remember we were asked to give a certain amount of money, and we gave an amount of money, and we gave it as 
Mr. and Mrs. Christopher Guest, yeah. you know, was listed in the little program or whatever. And then I remember there were tons of people older than me, and everyone was Naomi Foner and Stephen Hall, so-and-so and so-and-so. And I remember thinking, wow, <laughs> you can have your own identity. And, you know, for me, someone who was not raised around a feminist, with a feminist mother, I wasn't raised around feminist discussion. I was not raised in a really a particularly political home. Those ideas didn't get tossed around for conversation. And you were a full-on activist, feminist, and your daughter Maggie has become one. Your granddaughters have both carried on that mantle of the power of activism. Mm -hmm. And that was a great help for me is what I'm basically a long-winded way of saying thank you. I have to, I, on some level, I do have to thank my, the women in my family who, as difficult as it was for me as a child, um, the, the positive aspect of them was a kind of unspoken expectation that I was to use whatever talents I had. And that the expectation that I do that at the time that I was going through the various stages of my life was the feminism that I learned because I, I was young and right in the middle of the, you know, all the exploration of feminism that was going on in the sixties and seventies. And there were a lot of women who didn't even know they were entitled to it. And not only did I know that it, it had been inculcated in me as a kind of expectation you you use what you've been given in some kind of service and it doesn't matter what sex you are you, you do that and that was a gift because i never had to go that first hurdle into feeling entitled to it it was something i knew i was born with so i didn't work too hard at that um and i think that it's been kind of a great thing to watch our daughters, both Annie and Maggie and Maggie's children, move forward from the place where we where we got and expect all the things that they saw and move on from that. So that there, there is there is a lot of growth in that. And I have to say that those things came from the very problems that I had as a child. My mother was a doctor. I remember having fistfights with people in the street in front of school where they insisted, boys, she can't be a doctor. She's a nurse. No, she's not. She's a doctor. You know, mm -hmm. those were silly times, but they, they were very real. And um, what's interesting to me is to see from my viewing of you is how you have you again from both curiosity and a kind of built-in energy that you have. You have so much wonderful energy. You have reached for everything that you were interested in. You know, you could have seen that and done nothing, but you didn't. You what you do with all these clues and cues is you use them. And I I know that we have been there for each other at moments when it didn't feel like we could get there. 
um, that there are things we were doing that didn't seem after a while realistic. And that the other thing that, that fr this friendship for me has always provided is a cheering section. I mean, when I directed my first movie at 63, you showed up in Sundance when they screened I it. <laughs> and, I remember. And, and, and I remember you writing the first thing you wrote. You, you went on to be a serious author. Your children's books aren't just celebrity children's books. They are really wonderful. Well, classic. Thank and, you. But the first time you wrote something, you weren't so sure about it. And what I what I knew reading it was that you weren't following anybody's path. You weren't following anybody's rules. You were writing from some place in you that was the same place that made you compelling as an actor. The originality of you was in what you were writing. And there were people around you saying, well, you know, it's not make the sentences different and, you know, Put your, put your punctuation in this place or use a different word. And the thing that made it so great was you, nobody had taught you those forms and you were doing it in the most original and wonderful way. And you needed to embrace your very originality, which, you know, by the way, it's knocked out of you by school yes. all the time. Yes, for sure. I mean, and I obviously I appreciate that. It's funny you brought that up. I was going to bring that up because I have a vivid memory of writing something and then sitting on that purple Victorian couch or burgundy Victorian couch in your living room um, and having you talk about what I had written. It was a I for the uninitiated listener who knows nothing about what we're discussing. Um, this was before I'd ever written children's books. I was 26, 27, 28. Um, and, you know, I think we all, many people don't really know who they are or what they're doing. And we we go along in life and, and sort of follow the next thing. And then we, oh, now we're doing this. And that's very much the way it was with me. I didn't have a vision of it. I wasn't an, a scholar on any level. I barely got out of high school. And yet I was very observant of things and I found things very funny. And so I kept a little book and I would write little um, observations, um, little funny ideas, little funny word plays, whatever. And I, I did cobble together a couple short stories. Um, I, I made it a challenge to myself, which was uh, I came up with the title first and then wrote a short story to it. I guess that's sort of like poetry slam or like um, Eight Mile. You gave me the white refrigerator at one point that I was supposed to write. <laughs> right. Yes. And, you know, I remember. Um, the idea of writing something to a title felt like an exercise for me. Um, I recently watched um, a wonderful, talented, uh, improvisational actress named Edie Patterson, who just did a one-woman improv hour show where she played all of the characters that she then created out of the improv. So she, like somebody came up with a title for the show and her name. And that was it. And then for an hour, she improvised 
the story of that title, like from the title, and the title was No Mama. (laughs) (laughs) And her name was Chance Tomorrow. And from that, this woman created this entire world of characters, scenarios, times and places that I never thought I'd go. And then somehow at the end of the hour came back and figured out a way of ending it with no mama. Like I, my mind was blown open, but that's what my early, sorry, I went on a really weird tangent, but I'm glad I did because it was so talented. Um, but I remember I wrote a short story to a title, Under the Davenport with Mrs. Stein. That's right. <laughs> now, I, I, I just, I remember writing the title and then writing the story to go with it. It was a woman who was a volunteer at the zoo and there was an earthquake and she went and got the chimpanzee that was her like little friend in the zoo and brought it home and hid it in her house. So when the zoo people came to try to find it, the chimpanzee was hiding under the Davenport with Miss, her name was Mrs. Stein. She was a habermaniac. She was happy all the time. Anyway, it was, I remember this so well. And I remember the feedback from you. And I'm telling you, Naomi, the reason I'm bringing up this very long winded story, everybody, I'm so sorry. I hope you've gotten some work done during this. The reason I brought it up is the confidence you gave me because you looked at me. I will never forget it. And you just said, you are a writer. You can write. You need to write. Don't worry about anything. Just write, 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 write. And I, from that, somehow, when that moment with Annie happened where she was four and said something funny and I wrote it down on a piece of paper and said, when I was little, a four-year-old's memoir of her youth and made me laugh and cry, I knew in that moment and that was directly responsible or you were directly responsible for that occurring because of the gift that only could have come from a friend. My husband liked it, but he would not give that to me the way you did. Well, you what 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 I was saying before you told me all this is what I remember, which is that what you had written was so original and so not formulaic and so unique to you that there was nothing else anybody could have said about it except that this was the work of somebody who is really a creative and you needed to know that because people have a responsibility to that. And um, it wasn't, it, it was true, you know, and it, it, I'm not that surprised when I think about the fact that the best actors I know, and in some ways I think comedy is harder to do than drama. And, uh, you know, I think about uh, the honeymooners, uh, Jackie Gleason, you know, who became a, a significant dramatic actor. But I think you can do that. You can go from comedy to drama. And it's not necessarily true. You can go from drama to comedy. And that's my little digression. Um, but in order to do what you did with yourself, in order to be the observer that you were, that made it possible for you to be 
as good as you were as an actor, it's the same thing writing, except you have a little more leeway because you don't have to put it all through your own physical body so you can fly in many other directions. But it was, it was just so obvious to me what you could do. And um, it felt easy. Again, I can't think of many things between us that weren't easy, except for when things weren't, when, when somebody was unhappy, you know, unhappy about something that they hadn't said. But basically, I think the, the dynamic is pretty easy because it was genuine and generous. I, I do. And I think that's friendship. I mean, ultimately, when we think about good friends, when I talk to, I'm going to talk to a lot of people and I, we're starting to hear a common thread of that sort of generosity, of that sight, of that sort of somehow immediate knowledge of someone. You know, it'll be interesting at the end of the, the recordings to really be able to make some sort of distillation of all of it. And there is, there's starting to be a theme in what makes people connect. If there's something I need, I don't already have. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Now, we also have a very interesting sort of thing that I don't have with many people. I have it with a couple people, which is your children are now adults. And I am friends with them independent of you. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the time, your friendships through children, we stay connected. It's all intertwined. Um, and I have been able to make separate relationships, albeit sometimes a little distance because I live on opposite coasts. So for the uninitiated listener, Maggie Gyllenhaal and Jake Gyllenhaal are Naomi's two adult children who I've known since they were little kids, since they were five and eight. And as Naomi is doing with her finger, which you can't see, (laughs) I remember going over to their house once and Jake was full of energy. And I remember like he could not calm down or he was doing something. And I, I didn't, I had never really been around kids that much. I'd never been raised with any people with kids, never been around any babies. And I remember looking at Jake and saying, I bet you can run around that tree 500 times. And he looked at me and he was like, yes, I can. And he went outside and ran around the tree 500 times. Um, That was an example of uh, that moment of kind of understanding kids, probably where I started writing children's book. I should write a book about Jake and the 500 trips around the tree. Um, But what's been interesting for me um, is that both of your children are performers. Both of your children are performers in the same industry I am in. Uh, I refer to your children as my godchildren. Um, I have referred to it at the beginning I did it because what I said to Jake when he first began acting was, I'm your celebrity godmother Mm -hmm. in the way of Cinderella. I know the game. I know the BS part. I know the fun part. And if you ever need celebrity godmother, Jamie, I'm yours. Mm -hmm. And I always will be. And somehow... (laughs) It has gotten, the word celebrity has just been pulled out of it. And I feel, honestly, like I am both of your children's godmothers. And I feel it in my heart and in my soul and in our independent relationships. Um, Has that been hard for you? Or is that, because it is tricky when, 
if if I'm seeing them separate from you, I've, we've never discussed this. I'm not looking for any big. I'm not trying to do a gotcha moment, like you know, on some one of those horrible gotcha moment TV shows. It's not seeing them separately, which I think is really good for everybody. It's the. Um, I think it. I think it has. Um, you guys have had an experience that I haven't had, which is to be recognizable in the world in a way that you may may want, may not want to be. You know, all the time. Certainly, I know Jake has hated it at some. Oh, and Maggie hated it. I but believe me, there was a moment I remember being. By the way, the only time in my life. In my entire life as a celebrity, the only time I ever felt anxious was coming back to Maggie's house and the people were there and she, I rem, I just. She was pregnant and they were waiting to see when she was going to have a baby. I yeah, think. it was a very intense time. Right. And so I, I feel that both of them had much more of that than I've ever had, to be perfectly honest, but finish your thoughts. Well, because the the intensity of the internet and the, the, you know, the money for paparazzi photographs and all that stuff was different as they... It's, by the way, the only good reason for selfies. Yeah. <laughs> the only good reason for selfies is that it has virtually put the paparazzi out of business. Yeah. Because now all these celebrities post pictures of themselves. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the paparazzi pictures that used to be the only time people got to see people in their kitchens now were no longer uh, valuable because people were posting pictures of themselves. So maybe that's the only good part about selfies. I The only place I have ever felt any kind of twinge of something is in the not knowing what it is that you guys have shared. Mm hmm. Sure. In the kind of a, um, in the dialogues about things like that, that is, um, and it's not only with you and the kids. I think I remember going to, I remember going to a wedding of one of our mutual friends or somebody's daughter and all of the people who are actors were seated at the same table and even though that's my group, those were my mm -hmm. friends, I was seated with a bunch of people I didn't know because I wasn't an actor. So there was a kind of a, there was a thing like that that was sometimes difficult. But um, the actual relationship, I'm very grateful for. I have nothing but um, good things to th about the fact that certainly that Jake and you got so close this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it it was fabulous for him, and uh, I'm very grateful for all the things that you did that made it possible. But it's it, but it's also such a, I mean, it's hard for me because of distance. Just literally, I live in a separate yeah. part of the country, and so I don't get to see um, you. I don't get to see Maggie and her family uh, very much. Uh, it's usually when I'm in New York or they're out here for a brief moment. We haven't lived in the same sphere. You and I have more. Oh, we, you and I have, absolutely. And I remember that time. I remember all those times when you, you were here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was another aspect of this that I wanted to touch on before we finished was 
distance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, um, there's a wonderful Loudon Wainwright song, Absence Makes the Heart Grow Fonder and the Mind Begin to Wander Back to Happier Days. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's about a relationship falling apart, uh, mm-hmm. a man and a woman falling apart. And um, I don't know, I, 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 it's difficult when you've now lived on the East Coast for 10 years. Yeah, but I've spent, in the last some years, I've spent large chunks of time on the West Coast. But yes, when I do come back to the West Coast, I feel like I have to break into people's lives in order to reconnect with them, you know, and, and I don't know how long I'm going to stay and I don't know, um, you know, so it's it's like, am I coming for a couple of weeks and we better make a date right now? Right. The, the taking for granted is something that's kind of wonderful in relationships The just... I could drop by and and bring you a cake I just baked, or we could take a walk together just because we feel like it right now. There is something wonderful in all deep relationships, having being able to take them for granted. There is in our lifestyle as people who have been in movie making and show business, a kind of gypsy quality where we we all at some point or other disappear for months at a time. And you're about to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that even inside your own family, you might be disappearing for months at a time. Because of my particular upbringing, where I went from my parents to my grandparents and then back to my parents again. And, you know, I'm always, every time a transition is about to take place, I'm <laughs> clutching right. it. It, it's I'm not really good at it. I don't always trust that it's that it's going to come back again. And um, so it's particularly difficult for me. But I do feel and this you will probably find again, repeated many times among people who are good friends, that when you have a forced intermission, a real friendship picks up as if it never had the intermission. And you don't even need to know what went on in the middle. You just are back. And it's just the quality of it. Sometimes it can take on, I mean, it'd be interesting if you and I decided to write letters to each other for some period of time and see how people who didn't have all this stuff that we're using right now actually communicated when they weren't together uh, and what that would do to the relationship. I mean, people used to leave England and come to America and think, well, maybe we'll never see those people again, even their mothers and their fathers and their Mm -hmm. siblings. But I think we're all taught, all of us who work in this industry, uh, a kind of, okay, bye, I'm going away for, mm-hmm. you know. I think Wish I'm, me luck, I'm going off into another universe, and I will be back, and I love you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we know how to do it. We, we turn it off, and we turn it back on when it comes back. But I remember um, William Wyler's daughter, Catherine, who was a friend of mine for a a long while, saying that when her dad went off to make a movie, it was like watching him at the bottom of a swimming pool. He would even sometimes come home at night, but she couldn't reach him. He was Mm -hmm. preoccupied in another world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's, it's, it's not uncommon for that to happen, even in other kinds of of um, occupations, you know, a lawyer on a big case or a politician mm-hmm. running for office or a, or a doctor, right? I mean, doctors, my goodness. I mean, exactly. doctors, I've heard a lot of children of doctors talk about that same 
mm-hmm. mental obsession about their parents' work. Mm-hmm. I love you so much. And I appreciate you being so open here on the Good Friend Podcast. There really has been a lot of love for a very long time. And I look forward to it continuing. I adore you. I adore you too. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, God bless you all and uh, stay safe. Good Friend is produced by Dylan Fagan and is a production of iHeartRadio. Our theme song, Good Friend, is written, produced, and performed by Emily King. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.